What's up, traders? Anthony Cardelli here, and thank you for tuning in to the Futures Radio Show podcast. In today's show, we'll discuss the latest FOMC meeting and what's happening with the banks. Is this another bank crisis? And is the Fed done raising rates with rate cuts coming as early as June? Well, we're going to go to the CME's FedWatch tool to see what the market thinks. Today, to discuss all of this, my guest is Managing Director and Chief Economist at CME Group, Blue Putnam. Today's podcast is brought to you by CME Group. Whatever the obstacles, CME Group provides the tools that global market participants need to manage risk and capture opportunities. With 24-hour access to futures, options, cash, and OTC products across all major asset classes, you can drive your trading strategy forward with confidence and precision. CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Blue, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's good to be back. Exciting times. I got to tell you, Blue, this latest FOMC meeting, I know that we all talk about this on social media and the media, that this is the most important Fed meeting of our lifetime, right? They say that almost about every meeting now, almost about every CPI. But I do think that after this last meeting, it really does set a tone or maybe a change in tone of what's going to happen going forward. What was your reaction about what the Fed did? And do you think that that meeting was possibly the last rate hike that we will see in this cycle? Yes, a lot of things going on at that meeting. You know, the, the Fed's caught in a, uh, a trifecta dilemma, you know, because the Fed was created back in 1913 to prevent uh, systematic bank failures. The, the one in 1907 is what triggered the creation of the Fed. You know, the U.S. didn't even have a central bank from the 1830s till 1913 because President Andrew Jackson killed it. But anyway, um, once we got a central bank, the first financial crisis was the Great Depression and the Fed failed to taste, te you know, a test. It didn't serve as a lender of last resort. Uh, and that's very deeply uh, embedded in the memory of the Fed. He, you know, former Fed chair Bernanke, he wrote his dissertation at MIT on the Great Depression. I mean, he studied this upside down and backwards. So the Fed is always concerned about bank risk. And then after, in the, uh, after the Great Depression, Congress gave them the dual mandate of full employment and price stability. So they've got these three things and they're in conflict. Inflation says raise rates. Unemployment says, hey, we're fine. We're good. Don't need to do anything. And of course, uh, the, uh, the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and then the contagion of the dominoes, the ripples, uh, suggested that the Fed might want to worry about the banking system. And the FDIC and the Fed did, uh, along with the Treasury Secretary and the President, a supermajority of FDIC and, and the Fed uh, declared that it was a, a systematic risk. And that allowed them to uh, override the $250,000 deposit limit on FDIC. And then they did. And so, you know, they've really done a ton to uh, contain any issues in the U.S. banking system. But banking system issues are about confidence. And confidence is in uh, short supply right now. So it was an interesting Fed meeting. They raised rates because they wanted to say they could still fight inflation. But then they said, yeah, you know, we could raise rates again, but only if the data says we have to. 
And and then as as uh, Chair Powell was leaving the press conference, he said, and uh, he dropped the mic and he said, uh, you know, lowering rates is not in our base case, but that just means they have another scenario just in case. <laughs> so I I think the Fed did a really good job at that meeting of balancing uh, a, a balancing act, but uh, they don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen next. We're all kind of on edge. So that's where we are. I want to stay on the banking crisis at this point, because, you know, you hear so many different things out there about what's going on with banks. I heard more news this morning about what's going on in Europe. Obviously, we've had Credit Suisse, we've had uh, Silicon Valley Bank and all these different things happening. And like I said, I'm, I'm no bank expert, but there's one thing that when I do start to see these types of things happening, it, it does create caution. And one of the things I heard you say is a confidence crisis. And I'm looking at this saying, is this really a banking crisis where we have you know, issues like we did in 2008? I know a lot of people are comparing it to then. I, I traded during then and I felt that that was far worse. But once again, I don't know. I don't have I don't have uh, an idea of exactly what's going on behind the scenes here. But it does seem to me and it sounds like I think you even said this, that this is not as much of a banking crisis and is as it is a uh, confidence crisis in the banks. Am I wrong there? No, you're exactly right. I mean, Silicon Valley Bank <clears throat> made some interest rate uh, risk decisions that turned out to be pretty badly wrong. Uh, it, it wiped out their capital and there was a run on the bank. And then the FDIC and the Fed came in and, and said, okay, you know, we, we can contain that. Um, but it still makes small businesses around the U.S. look at their banking situation. And if you're a small bank or regional bank, some of them are pretty big, actually, yeah, uh, and you've lost deposits. By the way, those deposits went to the top five banks. Uh, if you've lost deposits, then your loan to deposit ratio is not what you want. Uh, it's too high. So you can't make any new loans. Uh, and if you're one of the big banks that got the deposits, uh, you know, times are pretty risky. You're going to be pretty strict with your credit standards. You're not going to be like running out there to, to use this money. So, you know, there's there's no question in my mind, and the Fed certainly uh, said this, that, you know, this banking situation is like a tightening of credit. And I believe that. Uh, and I believe that startup companies will need financing in six to 18 months. They always need to go for another round. And there's, some of them are going to have trouble getting it. And emerging companies that have got some revenues, but maybe aren't quite profitable yet, they're going to need some more money and they're going to have trouble getting it. And the big tech companies, they got a massive revaluation in their stock prices last year. And, you know, they're focused on what they can control and what they can control are their expenses. So they're going to lay off some more people. So the second half of 2023 in the U.S. is going to look nothing like the first half or the end of 2022. Because, you know, we're in a very different position and we're, we're definitely going to see some more stress in the labor markets. It won't show up right away. If a big tech company lays off people but gives them severance pay for three, four months or whatever, uh, they won't be applying for unemployment insurance until after the severance pay works out and so forth. So 
you know, don't look for the data to tell us anything between now and the next Fed meeting. Doesn't even matter whether inflation bumps up. I mean, I think the PCE core is going to have a tough time in the next release next week. But you, you, really, the data we're looking at is going to be what do we see happening in August, September, October? That's when we'll know what's happening. So we, we got to wait a little bit. And in the meantime, the Fed's on hold. You know what this all sounds like to me? It sounds like we are now officially headed to a recession. I'm not willing to forecast that yet um, because the, the, the FDIC and the Fed have done a great deal to contain the situation. Over in Europe, the ECB and the Swiss National Bank have done a great deal. Um, I don't know that we're going to go into a recession. We're, we're coming out. We're still in the pandemic rebound. A lot of companies, big companies in the hospitality, tourist travel, they're still hiring because they haven't gotten back to full speed. A lot of companies that benefited from the pandemic and overhired are now cutting back, and that's tech and Wall Street. So, you know, the labor market is dealing with the banking situation, but it's also dealing with the, the, the after effects of the pandemic. So, yeah, we're definitely going to slow down the economy and the unemployment rate's probably going to rise. But is it does it meet the criteria of a recession? Maybe it's kind of like uh, 2001, 2002, where, yeah, we have a recession, but it's not too bad. Uh, I don't feel like it's like 1990 and the SNL crisis or 2008 and the great financial crisis. I, I'm not there yet, but I'm, it's 50-50, <laughs> definitely flipping coins. What about uh, soft landing versus uh, hard landing? A soft landing, I think, means the unemployment rate rises, but not too much. Uh, hard landing, I think, means the unemployment rate rises a lot. <laughs> uh, so I think soft landing is not off the table. Uh, but, you know, we, we just have to wait and see. The, the equity markets are seriously confused. You know, they they like have a great day one day and give it all back the next and then grab it the next. And, uh, you know, they're dealing with what we would call an event risk scenario where, uh, you know, one scenario is that we, we cruise down to either a no recession or a very soft recession. And the other one is it's a lot more serious, but it's not going to be halfway between. This is an either or kind of thing. And the bond market's looking at it the same way. You look at the 10 year yield, you know, bouncing around three and a half. If we were in a deep recession, it wouldn't be three and a half. It'd be going lower. Uh, and if we uh, get out of this without recession, then it's going to drift a little higher. So we're in one of these event risk things where the current market isn't going to be where, you know, it's going to change by September, October, but we don't know which way. Yeah. I mean, let's go to what I think was the most interesting market reaction uh, after the latest Fed meeting. I agree with you. Equities right now are, and they're as confused as I am, Blue. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I always like to keep up the dollar. I like to keep up gold. And I like to keep an eye. Obviously, I'm trading the S&P. Um, and, of course, we're going to look at what the, what the yields are doing, too. But the gold market, to me, was the standout. When I look at it and, and after the Fed meeting, I looked at this rally and said, is gold actually finally going to do what so many macro people have been saying it's going to do or should be doing. And we're in that process now of where it's looking to potentially take out 
uh, these highs is basically this 2000 to 2050 ish area. What are your thoughts on gold's reaction to the Fed? Yes, gold, um, the markets in general, but gold in particular, Fed funds futures we'll talk about later, foreign exchange rates, they basically have taken the view that you know the Fed's not going to tighten anymore and may be forced to ease. Maybe not, but they're like looking at that view. Because gold, gold's a hedge against inflation only if the central banks aren't raising rates. If the central banks are raising, gold doesn't pay any interest. So if the central banks are raising rates, uh, gold maybe isn't as quite a good a hedge as you might like. And gold also is a very good hedge against a weak dollar. And so the interesting thing that uh, occurred along with the rise in the price of gold, uh, the Japanese yen strengthened through all this. The Japanese, the Bank of Japan has the most accommodative policy out there. <laughs> you know, they haven't even started. They still have a minus 10 basis points on their policy rate. Uh, and yet their currency strengthened. And, and all of that ties in with gold rising, uh, that, that the market participants voting with their feet are saying, we're pretty sure this is the last Fed hike. And if the economy doesn't perform as they think, then the next move is down. So uh, that, that's what gold's telling us. And what I pulled up here is gold versus the S&P, because what you're starting to see now, which I think is very interesting, is gold going up when equities are going down, right? And for a while there, gold and equities, you could even see from the chart, they were really going a lot together. And now what you're seeing is these big weekdays uh, in equities, S&P, are having a pretty strong day. Uh, in gold. And so gold is acting like that hedge that a lot of people would be thinking about in these certain types of uh, situations. And and so to me, it's just, it's one of those things where gold didn't seem to matter until now. I feel like gold now is really the hot play. You always look at the market reactions and say, how is it reacting to equities? How is it reacting to the news? And it is reacting very strongly uh, in this environment. So I think in some ways that is, you know, that's, that's telling you something, right, Blue? Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you go back to March 7th, before Silicon Valley hit the headlines, uh, you know, we were talking about whether the Fed would raise by 50 basis points. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you no. Know, and, and then, you know, then we had these uh, couple of weeks where we had Silicon Valley, and then we had issues in Europe, in Switzerland, and so forth. And, you know, the Fed, the ECB, and the Bank of England all still raise rates, but all with a very cautionary tone about we, you know, they still have to take care of the banking system. So this is uh, this is a you know this gold has uh, come up in this type of environment. Equities, on the other hand, they you know this is probably not that good for future earnings uh, with a slower economy. So they're they're struggling with a different dynamic and. I don't know if that chart you're showing on equities is up or down. It looks like a trading range to me while they can't figure things out. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I've heard a lot of people say that, that maybe this is just becomes an earnings recession. Uh, and, you know, and I can't disagree with that. I and mean, when you look at the chart itself, I mean, you look back to the S&P, you go back to May of 2022, we're trading the exact same place where we were. So going back almost a year, we're in the same place. And, you know, you've got a, 
decent high and decent low. Yeah. And you're just churning in the middle and that, and that could continue traders. Right. I mean, that's why I like to look at other markets and like, where's the greatest response and you're seeing gold. And uh, I, the, to me is as a trader, I say, if I start to see that there, I want to look more towards that. If we continue to get headlines that we've seen uh, as of late. And, and another thing I want to look at is micro yield futures to look at the rates because before we'd have to, you know, go and pull up the rates somehow, some way and, and get what they were. Now we can see them trading live. And so now you have the 10 year, which is the 10 Y. Uh, and this is 3.35. You got the twos at 3.7. Twos, of course, are really nothing more than an average of your daily expectations over the next two years. And so if you're expecting rates to be cut, as the Fed funds futures are and the, and the two-year reflects that. If you look at the one-year versus the 10-year, it's still inverted. And if you look at the current Fed funds versus the 10-year, it's seriously inverted. So, you know, we, we still have a, an inverted yield curve, which in my definition is, is a tight monetary policy. You know, the Fed talks about, and Chair Powell talks about, you know, we have to get to sufficiently restrictive. And of course, the Fed doesn't define that, so it's up to us uh, analysts to figure out what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, for me, anytime the yield curve is inverted uh, between Fed funds or the one year versus the 10, you're restricted. And there are other people that said, no, you really have to get the, the Fed funds rate above the prevailing inflation rate. I don't buy that because the prevailing inflation rate is like you're driving your car looking only in the rear view mirror. I don't know. I don't drive that way. It's not a good plan. I look out the windshield and I, you know, inflation's coming down. It'll be bumpy. I, I do think the uh, core PCE next uh, that's coming out shortly will be a, 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 you know, a tenth or two in the wrong direction. But, you know, inflation's coming down. So my expectations and I think the markets are that, uh, you know, we, we have a still a pretty tight policy. It's restrictive. And the Fed doesn't need to do any more work. And the banking system is going to do a lot of its work for it. Yeah, I mean, look at how much these have come down. Look at the twos. We're at 5% down to 3.6. The tens were around 4.3 down to 3.3. You know, a 30-year, obviously not as much movement that far out. But, you know, you got a 4.4 down to a 3.6. And you said that, you know, the Fed, well, let's go to the CME Fed watch tool. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the Fed, has, I think, has is done. I, I think that the market's telling us that they're done raising rates. And what I think is extremely interesting when I look at this is the next meeting, I think most people would say, you know what? The market's telling us right here, 92%, the current Fed fund uh, rate stays the same. But if you go out to June, which is not long from now, you're seeing a 58.2% saying that it's going to be the same, but you've got a 36.6% saying that we're going to already get a 25 basis point cut in June, let alone if we go out a little bit further. But the fact that we're already seeing that in June, I go to you, Blue, and say, I mean, it's not the, the probability, the high probability as of right now, but it's hard to see that that's getting priced in at even 36.6%, when the Fed just raised 25 basis points, you're telling me that within three months, we could be giving it back? What do you think about that? Well, it's it's the Fed wouldn't like to pivot quite like that. So they, they're going to push against that. But, you know, we know from the past, and, and this Fed's probably not that different, you know, that you take the stairs up and you take the elevator down. 
if the if the economy really goes into a hard landing, uh, then then you know the Fed will respond, and, and it's not their base case. It's not what they expect to happen. But if it does happen, they're data dependent. They'll make the the move. I will tell you that I don't think we're ever going back to zero. Zero didn't work. Uh, I think you know if the Fed cuts rates, probably the best rate to uh, to to fight a recession with is something like two and a half, two, uh, not not zero. Zero hurts too much of the economy. It hurts retirees. It hurts savers. It yeah. kills the money market funds. It it, it wasn't a great idea. Uh, it was too low. But but you know they. But I do think if if we get a hard landing and we see that kind of data. The Fed's data dependent. It'll respond, even though it's not their base case, because that's not what they're expecting. Um, but if the you know if the facts change, uh, <laughs> then you change your opinion. But I don't think we're going to know by the June meeting, and that's because I don't think we're going to see much change uh, in the uh, unemployment data or the weekly unemployment insurance claims over the next four to six weeks. So the, the critical data period for me is what happens in June, July, and August, because that gives us enough time to see what the banking system might be dealing with. And then um, here we go to July meeting, 50% yeah. that we're going to be cut a quarter basis point, 40%, it could be 50. And then when you go to September, it's saying 50% chance we're going to be four and a quarter to four and a half, which puts us still at 50 basis points uh, to 75 basis points lower than we are now. And then you go to November and it puts us at almost about a hundred basis points lower than where we are now based upon the probabilities. And I'll click on December just to see what that says for the remainder of 2023. And that puts us at a hundred to 125 basis points lower than where we are right now after we just got done spending all this time watching the fed raise rates according to cme's fed watch tool which i could tell you i absolutely follow and it's it's pretty much always right it's saying that we're going to be 100 to 125 basis points lower by the end of the year that's what it says but you got to understand that's that's uh, the fed funds futures market is telling you what you can hedge and what you can't hedge. Uh, so it's the, you know, the the futures and options markets are all about risk management. And that's what you do in uncertain times. Uh, and that's what people are doing. And and the, uh, the risk management market here is saying, you know, the Fed's telling us we won't have a hard landing, but we're not so sure. And we need to think about that. Um, that's, uh, and then we'll just see what happens. You know, we don't know. No, no doubt. But this is where the money is being put in. Right. I mean, that's because this is an actual market where people are actually making, you know, trades based upon what they they see the future. Right. And that's why you love the futures markets is this is what they're seeing in the future. And I just find that to be so incredible. And you when you go back to you know, when we take a look here at, you know, at equities and gold, we'll go back to the S&P. It's why the S&P is doing what it's doing. I think this is it gives everybody great perspective because if you just come out of QT and already we're going back to QE that fast, the market, I think, is in a position where it doesn't really believe it. Well, obviously, it says that in the Fed watch. Uh, but then you got a lot of people that are saying, well, maybe I don't necessarily see these signs of this potentially happening. Yeah, it is a wait and see mode. But I do think we have a different Fed. You know, uh, after the tech wreck in 2000, uh, Fed Chair Greenspan took rates to 1%. Uh, 
And, uh, you know, after the uh, great financial crisis in 2008, uh, Fed Chair Bernanke took them to zero. Uh, I, I just don't think the Fed's going to have the markets back in the same way coming out of this. They're really, they didn't have any inflation issues then in those episodes. And now they do. So they, they really have to balance the, uh, the economy, meaning unemployment, the banking system, confidence, and inflation all at the same time. So, you know, they got three legs and they're not, they're not the same length right now. This is a wobbly chair. Although three legs typically are stable, I would argue that in this case, they're not. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I can't disagree with that at all. And it is a different environment. You didn't have the inflation that we had here. You're right. It definitely is a different Fed. I look at what Powell did in this last meeting, and I can only guess, but do we really think that Yellen or Bernanke would have raised 25 basis points? I guess in my past experience with them always cutting rates, like I would almost guess that they wouldn't have done the 25, right? I feel like he's standing his ground. Um, you know, the Fed is resolute is what one of my uh, uh, guests on the podcast said. And I look at that and say, that's why it's hard for me to believe that we're going to be cutting rates as fast as we are. Unless once again, there's something out there that could happen that we don't know about, or maybe a lot of the market is projecting it's going to be worse. And going back to what you said, the market's just basically managing risk, saying that if it is worse, this is how we're, we're hedging it. Is that the scenario? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I don't know what Yellen or Bernanke or even Greenspan would have done, but they did not have the inflation issue that Powell has. So, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, but Powell, you know, I, I felt he did as good a job as possible in balancing these risks in, in the press conference. Um, I mean, if you, you know, this is just a very difficult time to be a central banker. And, and what I will urge people to do, though, is don't underestimate the resilience of, of the economy. Uh, it has the ability to stand up to quite a bit of shock. Uh, and, and we know that. But, you know, we, we are getting a, uh, a situation where banks are all looking at their, their deposit to loan ratios. Companies are all looking to see whether, you know, what can we control in this environment? You can control your expenses. So that's what you do. Uh, so I do think the second half of the year will be a very different picture on, um, on the jobs market and the unemployment than it is today. And then we'll just, you know, but I also think inflation will be lower. So, you know, some things are going to work well for the Fed and other things are going to be a little uncomfortable. Yeah, exactly. And I 100% agree with you. Don't underestimate the market. I mean, the market is not built to go down. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I think that people a lot of times start getting really way too negative on the market, which in a lot of ways ends up being a reversal of extreme, you know, rallies when people get too bearish on the market. And I do think what's really interesting here, Blue, is that as a trader, I look at these rates and I see how much the twos, tens have come down. If they're going to be cutting rates again, is that really bad for stocks? No. If you start to take that down a little bit, I don't see how that's negative for stocks. I guess in the fact that people think that, oh, it's going to be negative for the economy. But like you said, the economy isn't really that bad. I, I guess I would probably go out and say that if the economy isn't that bad and rates do come down, wouldn't that be bullish for stocks? Yeah, I mean, if, if the Fed actually cut rates, um, 
whether it would be bullish for stocks would depend, you know, on, on why they cut rates, how serious the issue was. Exactly. But, uh, you know, it would probably be bullish. But, you know, there are other things that we're not even talking about here. I mean, the debt ceiling comes up in July and August. I got I to gotta tell you, if the debts, if they don't come up with a solution to the debt ceiling in this context, that's really bad news. And people are looking at that. We're also finishing up with the last of the, the emergency stimulus from the pandemic. You know, student loans are going to have to start being paid back again. Uh, the Medicare rolls are going to be uh, recalibrated. Some people are going to lose Medicare be, uh, uh, because the emergency assistance is gone. What used to be called food stamps now uh, supple, supple, SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition, Nutrition Assistance Program, uh, is going to be get cut back. So we have some fiscal uh, drag coming in the second half of the year on top of the banking situation being a credit tightening. So you know, the, the, the futures market has certainly a good case that rates might come down. And the Fed has, uh, you know, wants to make sure that, you know, they're still fighting inflation while they have other tools to deal with the banking system. Uh, wow. Are we uh, we're in a market? It's so uncertain. You know, you've got to manage your risk. Oh, man, uh, no doubt. Uh, and, you know, Blue, I think we're going to end on that note. I, I just think that, we, you know, we covered a lot today. I go back and think about everything that we talked about today. And the one thing I will always tell the traders is make sure you're keeping an eye on the CME Fed watch tool. Make sure you're keeping an eye on gold. Make sure you're keeping an eye on rates, whether you are trading those products or not. That is what is driving this market right now. <laughs> Blue, it's always great to speak with you. So thank you so much, my friend, again, for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's always good. Remember, everybody, you can go to cmegroup.com to learn more about the CME FedWatch tool. Also, CME Group on Twitter. Blue, until next time, my friend, thank you so much again for joining me. I really appreciate your time and knowledge. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. Never miss an episode. Go to anthonycrudelli.com and get on our email list for show notifications and for free content that is exclusively for subscribers. Also on anthonycrudelli.com, you will find tons of videos and education on trading futures, options, and crypto. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Opinions expressed are solely my own and my guests, and they do not express the views or opinions of my sponsors. Futures Radio Show is produced by Crudelli Productions.